job of intentionally investing in that next generation to make sure that the youth have a seat at the big table. Well, as you know, uh, over the last three years, our church has been doing a a, a study, a strategic uh, study of our entire campus. This was kicked off by the fact that in 2015, we, we had a whole lot of rain. Do you remember when we had rain in 2015? And it was raining so much that we actually had some water, uh, about an inch standing water in the basement of the A&O house. And so as we began to uh, try to figure out what was going on, we realized not only is there standing water in the basement, but there's no rebar, reinforcement bar in the walls of the basement in the A&O house. And I don't know how that would happen. Uh, I've done many mission trips in Mexico where we've built homes and built medical facilities and they use rebar. So I'm thinking, how did we not use rebar in the 1920s? But it didn't have any. So the house was condemned and we had to condemn the house. And our session voted unanimously that what we needed to do is create a strategic facilities planning team that would interview every ministry within our church to talk to them about what is the long range needs, their long range facility needs for their ministry. And so as a part of being an intergenerational church, a church that's committed to reaching the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, we interviewed our youth. We asked them, what do you need? This old house is is having a hard time staying together. What do you need to do the ministry you believe God's calling you to? And then, of course, we hired an architect. uh, And this architect went back and interviewed those youth again. Because if you want to reach a 14-year-old with the gospel of Christ, you don't ask a 44-year-old how to do that. You don't even ask a 74-year-old. You ask the 14-year-old, what is working to help bring your friends to church, to help reach your friends, your de-churched and unchurched friends, to help come and hear the gospel of Christ? Well, as we gave our young people a seat at the big table and asked their opinion, they told us very clearly that, well, there's something about that house, and they would love to keep the house, but as we've talked to structural uh, engineers, and we've spoken to multiple general contractors and multiple architects, they've all told us that, well, to try to fix that house, it it would be a miracle. Bob Vila could not fix that old house. (laughs) In fact, if you were to try to expand that house, you would have to tear the house down to its studs, remove all the asbestos that is in the walls of that old house. You'd have to redo all the wiring, redo all the plumbing. And when you begin to do this kind of work, then you have to make it ADA compliant. So you'd have to add an elevator somehow to that old house. Now, it was very clear to us that we can't keep that old house. So what do we need to do for our youth to help reach that next generation for the kingdom of Christ? Well, they told us very clearly that if, if we could somehow recreate that A&O house, that youth house. Because there's something about inviting a friend to a, well, to a house that looks like a fraternity house. It's a lot easier for the unchurched kid, just like that, or a de-churched kid to, to go to that house than to walk into our beautiful facility that's got its neo-Gothic style architecture, which I love, but I grew up in the church. If you want to reach that de-churched or that unchurched kid, you've got to invite him to, well, to something like this, a house that looks like a fraternity house where they know they will be welcomed and there'll be great fellowship, and, and not only great fellowship, but ultimately they'll get to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, I've been asked by many people, how much larger is this house uh, than our current house? So I want to show you the inside of the house that we've got. You can see this, uh, this is a scheme. You can see there's a wraparound porch for that uh, A&O house. So there'll be a lot of fellowship outside. There's the main front door. There's a portable stage. I spoke to our general contractor, Casey Wood, who's a member of our church, and he did the fellowship center uh, several years ago. I asked Casey, could you put an overlay, an orange overlay, to help communicate how much larger this house is? That overlay represents the living room where 70 kids every Wednesday pack into our old A&O house. This new house is going to be more than twice the size of our old A&O house. You'll be able to pick to have more than 150 kids in our our new youth house. 
Our old youth house can barely hold 70. And sometimes they have 90, and sometimes kids have to turn away because there's not a room enough for them to all come inside. This house is going to provide a lot more opportunity for more kids to come, for more ministry. But it's not just the first floor. There's a second floor. We want to show you a picture of that. It's got lots of breakout rooms. And the vision for this second floor, of course, every Wednesday night, the youth get together, and they have worship downstairs, and they have a talk, and then they go up into second floor, and they have breakout uh, sessions. But we want this house not just to be for our church, but for any ministry in, in Amarillo that, that might be able to use it at, at times. In fact, uh, we just came back from a mission trip at First Presbyterian Church of Corpus Christi, hosted our mission team as we tried to do Hurricane Harvey relief. And in their youth area, if you could keep... So as we think about ministering and trying to uh, provide more ministry for our church, uh, First Presbyterian Church of Corpus Christi hosted us in their house. And while we were in their house, uh, or in their youth facility, they had uh, rooms we could stay in and they had a shower. And so there's going to be a shower up on the second floor for youth teams to come and travel to Amarillo to do a, a week-long mission trip if they want. Or, or teams that are on their way to Colorado from Houston, they'll often spend the night in that house. We want this house to be a place for ministry, not just for our church, but for any ministry that might be able to use it. And of course, as we did this study, we not only learned that our youth need uh, better space, but we also learned that our children need a more secure space. So we'll go to that next slide showing the children's wing of the first floor. And that's not it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. There it is. Our current children's wing doesn't really have a secure check-in point. Uh, anyone can wander into our children's wing. And during the week, uh, we always have people, uh, street folks, buzzing in, trying to get assistance. And we want to help those folks. But as they walk into our great hall, there's really nothing preventing them from wandering into the Opportunity School, our first wing, where all our, our young children are. We need to have a more secure children's wing. We need to have a place where they can check in. We also need to have a place where uh, children can play in the preschool there. We want to have a preschool playground, as you can see uh, photographed there. An opportunity for young people to know that this is a church that welcomes them, that they're welcome to be here. And of course, then we want to have the children's playground, uh, as we talked about. And we want to expand that children's playground to have both preschool and elementary age uh, kids together where we can have lots of fellowship. Right now we have a playground, but it's only for preschool kids. We want to expand that space and give them green space. This is actually a picture of the playground at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. In Houston, where uh, the architect who we're working with helped design that playground. It's a lot of fun. It's got this padded turf. It's real bouncy. It's fun to run around in. We want to have a church that when kids pull up with their parents, they can see that there's a place for them to play, to, to fa- have fun fellowship, and to learn about Jesus. But this whole campaign is not just about children. It's about reaching every generation. And so we want to make most of the space that we have. And so we want to put an arbor over the parlor. I think we've got a picture there I just saw a moment ago. That's it right there. We want to make sure that that space, which is most, the most underutilized space in our church, in the eight years I've been here, it's only been used once, to my knowledge. We want to make sure that there's shade out there, that people can have Bible studies out there, that people can have receptions out there, that we can have uh, lunches and gatherings. We want to have, make sure that that space is, is better utilized. We also want to make sure that our campus is more ADA compliant, that it has greater accessibility. So we're going to put a front ramp in the north entrance to make that north door our, our main entrance where people can... Uh, who are have handicap issues can get wheeled up. Uh, they can be dropped off at the front door and wheeled into the great hall. And then we'll have a chairlift where they can get right into the sanctuary. So they don't have to walk all the way from the south door to get to the sanctuary. It would be much easier to drop off at the north door. We want to do all that we can to make sure that this facility is, is accessible for everyone. Now, I know that we can look at this and think, well, you know, I'm further along in my age and I'm not really going to benefit from the youth house. My kids are grown or... I don't have children in the children's ministry, but I guarantee you, all of us one day will be grateful that we have that ramp in the north door. We'll all be glad that we have better accessibility. You need to know that as people have begun to hear the vision of the Grow Across Generations campaign, they've already begun to make pledges, significant pledges to this campaign. 
People have already begun to make significant financial gifts. A few weeks ago, I was on the phone with an elderly member of our congregation for, who, for medical reasons, is unable to come to our church anymore. And as we were talking about this campaign, he, he was pretty uh, quick with me. He just kind of cut to the chase. He said, so what do you need? I said, well, we need $5.5 million over three years. And he laughed and said, well, I'm not sure I'm going to be here in three years, but uh, I'll send you a check for $75,000 to help you get started. How does that work? I said, oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. This man gets it. He knows that he doesn't have any children or grandchildren in our church. He's not going to benefit from the work that's done in the children's ministry. He's not going to benefit from a new youth house. He may not even benefit from that north door entrance. But he loves the Lord and he loves our church. And he knows that we've got to do all that we can to help reach that next generation for the kingdom of Christ. For as I explained to him, 72% of our membership is over the age of 55. Raise your hand if you're over 55 here today. Anybody? Okay, that's like over 90% of this room is over 55. We've got to make sure we have a campus, a facility that lets the young families know you are welcome here. There's a place for you here at First Presbyterian Church. You need to know, too, that even if someone came up to us and said, hey, I, I would like to, to write a check for the whole amount, $5.5 million, we, we would, in fact, take that check. We'd be grateful for that. That has not happened. That hasn't happened. But if that were to happen by a miracle of God's grace, someone, here's a check for $5.5 million, we would be so grateful. We would thank God. We would cash the check. But we would still go through this campaign together. If you didn't get to pick up one of these booklets, there's many of them in the, in the back table, the narthex after the service. We're asking every Sunday school class, every small group for the next four weeks to join us in this journey as we as a church seek to see how we can grow across the generations together, to see how we can do all that we can to reach that next generation. And you need to know that my wife and I have been praying about this. And in the 18 years of marriage uh, that we've been together, we've been a part of three different capital campaigns. And we believe in each one of them. But as we pray about this campaign, we know that God is calling us to give more than we've ever given. In fact, to give three times more than we've ever given to a capital campaign. Because we know that this campaign is focused on reaching that next generation. And we know that as church statisticians tell us, the most receptive demographic to the gospel of grace is children. Because by far the most expensive part of this whole campaign, it's the children's wing. To renovate that children's wing is going to be very costly. There's asbestos in those walls, too. We've got to clear some of that out. We've got to put in a sprinkler system, fire suppression system. And as we think about how to do that and why it's so important, we're reminded of the words of George Barna, who's a church statistician. He wrote a book called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And this is what George Barna writes. Having devoted more than two decades of my life and all of my professional skills to studying and working with ministries of all types, I am now convinced that the greatest hope for the local church lies in raising godly children. Think about the tremendous influence of these unassuming little people possess. Every year, tens of thousands of parents are brought to faith in Christ because one of their children was so changed by his or her own relationship with the Lord that the parent cannot ignore the power of Christ any longer. Further, we have discovered that peer evangelism among young children, one kid leading another kid to the foot of the cross for a life-changing encounter with Jesus, is one of the most prolific and effective means of evangelism in the nation. My brothers and sisters, last summer we had 48 young people pray to receive Christ as a part of our vacation Bible school. The most receptive demographic to the gospel of grace is young children. 
I know that we bemoan the fact that millennials have left the church. 60% of millennials who grew up in the church are no longer go to church. But we can still save Generation Z, the generation that's following, the generation of my children and your grandchildren. What can we do to make sure that we reach the next generation for the gospel and the kingdom of Christ? To find out, please open your red pew Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. It may be found on page 1264 of your red pew Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your holy inspired word, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him in his faith. Oh God, we pray that we might hear those words this morning, that we too might be encouraged to help equip and help raise the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. Oh God, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. (coughs) Why do you think the Apostle Paul has to, to remind Timothy to let no one despise you for your youth? He has to write that probably because someone is despising him because of his youth. Why do you think Jeremiah, in the text that Janie read just a moment ago, why Jeremiah thought he was too young to be a prophet? Probably because somewhere along the way, someone told Jeremiah, you're just too young. Scholars tell us that Timothy was probably in his late 20s when he began to lead the church in Ephesus. And many of the elders in Ephesus probably thought that Timothy was was just too young. They operated under that false assumption that with age comes wisdom. But that's not necessarily true. With age, doesn't, wisdom doesn't necessarily come. Wisdom comes from well, reading the Word of God. Wisdom comes from God. There's a lot of older people who are not very wise, and there's a lot of young people who are not very wise. The difference is wise people humbly turn to God's Word and seek His counsel and seek His direction. For we read in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord, reverence of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to know what God would have us do, we have to humble ourselves and humbly read and meditate on his word. And as we read God's word, we can see that God has gifted each one of us with different spiritual gifts that should be used to help do the work of God's kingdom. Spiritual giftedness is not age-based, it's spirit-based. And the moment we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us different spiritual gifts that we might use to help do the work of God's kingdom. That's why Paul exhorts Timothy, a man who is gifted by the Holy Spirit in verse 14. 
Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Most likely, this council of elders laid hands on Timothy while he was still back in his home church in Lystra when he was, most scholars tell us, he was probably mid to late teenager at that time, 16 to 19, when, when elders at his home church in Lystra laid hands on him and commissioned him to go with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey where, where Paul began to plant churches in Macedonia and brought the gospel to Europe and in cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And now, a decade later, we find that Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus. Don't forget how the elders laid their hands on you and prophesied on you, and you were anointed by the Spirit with gifts of teaching, leadership, and evangelism. As a church who values intergenerational ministry, we want to make sure that every young person in our church knows what their spiritual gifts are, and we're doing all that we can to help equip them to use those gifts in ministry. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are today? If you don't, there's actually a survey. I've put a few in the back table there. It's from Lifeway Christian Resources. You can look it up online, Lifeway. But it's a simple survey. You can't fail it. It's a survey. Fill it out. I'll give you an idea of what some of your spiritual gifts might be. But we want all of our students, all of our youth, to know what their spiritual gifts are so they can begin to use those gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. I'll never forget that growing up at the First Presbyterian Church in Midland, we we had a thing called Youth Sunday. It was Senior Sunday. And my Senior Sunday, unfortunately, was the Sunday after prom for Midland-Lee. And that was my prom. And I didn't want to be involved with Senior Sunday. But we had kind of a, a small youth group that year. My father was a drama director. So our youth leader knew that I could speak in front of people. So she coaxed me to, to be one of the preachers that morning. But I really didn't want to do it. But I agreed after her exhortation. And I was, already had senioritis, and so I was kind of lazy. And I went to this private school in Midland called Trinity that went up to the ninth grade. And I had given a chapel talk in the ninth grade, so I just dusted off that old chapel talk and thought I'd recycle it with the, youth, with the senior Sunday. Well, as I preached God's word, you know, in front of a congregation for the first time, people came up to me afterwards and said, man, you have a gift for preaching. You should be a preacher. Now, I quickly reminded them that I'm going to Trinity University major in economics and finance. I plan to finance the gospel, not preach it, but... But they saw something. They knew better. We're committed to having a a youth Sunday, a senior Sunday every spring because who knows what preacher might come out of our congregation next. We want to do all that we can to help equip our young people to use their gifts in ministry. And one of the things I love about Kim Talley's vision for our youth ministry and Jake and Anna's is that we're trying to take our youth and equip them to to do ministry today. Our our juniors and seniors are helping, helping mentor our middle school students, helping teach them. Our freshmen and sophomore in high school are helping with our children's ministry. We're, we're empowering our young people to say, yes, you have gifts. You need to use them in this place. But not just among our children. They're, they're helping us today. In fact, after this service, there'll be freshly baked cookies that were made by our high school students. If you go downstairs right now, you'll see that there's young people singing in the 1105 band. There's a young person helping run the slides downstairs in the booth back there. We want our young people to know that they have a role to play. And all of the studies done by the Fuller Youth Institute explain to us and helps us see that young people who, who begin to use their gifts in ministry while they're still in the church as youth, they continue to stay in the church, even during college, because they know have, they have something to contribute. In fact, we have learned also that these young people, if they can have at least five significant relationships with other adults in the church that are not their parents, well, then the church begins to feel more like a family and less like a program. And, well, you can leave a program, but you won't leave a family. We want to be a church that invests the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. We want to be a church where, like Paul, we're pouring into the Timothys that are around us. Who 
are the Timothys in your life? Now, we know from the story of, of Timothy and from what we read in the New Testament that, well, Timothy had a, a mother who was a Christian and a grandmother who was a Christian. These were Jewish women who came to faith in Christ. But he had a, had a father who was Greek, who was a Gentile. And he probably didn't have a very good relationship with that father because he's, he's not mentioned at all in the New Testament. And Paul talks about his relationship with, with Timothy. He is, he's like a father in the faith to Timothy. And you can imagine that if Timothy's biological father wasn't a follower of Christ, and yet his young son, while in his mid to late teens, decides that he wants to go on this mission, missionary journey with Paul and travel to far away places like Philippi and Berea and, and Thessalonica, that you know, T- Timothy's relationship with his biological father would probably be pretty strained because he couldn't understand why his son would want to leave Lystra, their hometown. But Timothy knew that he was called by God to do the work of God's kingdom. Who are the Timothys in your life? Who are the young people that you're pouring into today? Now, as a father with three kids in my home, the young Timothys that I focus on the most are, well, their names are Hannah, Elizabeth, and John. And then when you have kids in your home, you want to pour into them. But, but through my life, as I've tried to follow Jesus, there have been young men, young Timothys who've come to my life. Their, their names weren't Timothy. It was Chris, Jared, Russ, Jonathan, Mark. Scott, Andre, Carlos, Brent, and Jason, just to name a few. Young men who came to me and said, I I would like to learn from you. Could we get together for Bible study or could we get together just for coffee or lunch? And and I would agree. And then I would begin to talk to them about their life and what God was doing in their life. You know, a good Paul helps people, helps these Timothys see that they have gifts in ministry and, and listens well. There were three things that made Paul a really good spiritual mentor to Timothy. First thing was that Paul listened closely to what Timothy was saying. As you read 1 Timothy, you can see that this letter is, is dedicated to helping direct Timothy while he's facing the challenges of leading a church in Ephesus that questions his leadership, that, that has false teachings running amok, and, and Timothy's supposed to clean that all up. And so Paul is giving Timothy uh, direction, but only a direction because he's been listening closely to what Timothy has been saying, and so he knows how to direct Timothy. The second thing that makes Paul a good spiritual mentor to Timothy is that Paul knew Timothy well. He had spent time with Timothy. They had served together on Paul's second missionary journey, planting churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Paul knew what kind of gifts Timothy had, and so he he encouraged Timothy. And that's the third thing that made Paul a great spiritual mentor to Timothy. He encouraged Timothy to use his gifts in ministry. But notice exactly what Paul encourages Timothy to do specifically. Let's read again in verses 12 to 16. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Paul's primary emphasis for Timothy is to read God's Word because he knows that it's in God's Word and he's going to find wisdom and direction on how to live his life. The best thing we can do for our young people is to encourage them and exhort them and train them how to read God's word for themselves. If you've never read the Bible for yourself, I would encourage you to begin with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel written. It's only 16 chapters. 
Read one chapter a day. Allow that word to, to, to penetrate your heart. And after you read Mark, then read Matthew and Luke and John and the rest of the New Testament. If we can get our young people to begin to read the word for themselves, and they will, heal, they will hear God's wisdom and direction. And if we can equip them to, to begin to share that word with others, you know, the rule of the teacher is that once you, in order to teach something, you have to own it. It has to be your own. It, it has to penetrate your own heart and mind. And so as we ask our young people and encourage them to teach the next generation following them, they begin to own what these words say. It begins to penetrate their own hearts. They become transformed by it. So they might live in, in purity and obedience to God. You see, as our young people begin to read God's word, as we begin to read God's word, we will see that time and time again, our God loves us. Our God loves us so much that even though we were sinful, rebellious people, for God so loved the world that he gave, sent his one and only son here to this earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to live in perfect obedience to our heavenly father so that he might fulfill all of the moral requirements of the law, And then he died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross so that he might fulfill the sacrificial requirements of the law. Then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the gift of a new life. We will simply follow him. For as you read God's word, you'll see Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is we encourage our young people, and as we read God's word together, we will see just how much God loves us. I love the way that Brendan Manning, the great American prophet, said, We have a God who loves us so much that he would rather die than be without us. The good news of the gospel is we have a God who sent his son to die on a cross so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could become a new creation as we put our life in his hands. And that makes all the difference. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who has made yourself known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, that you invite all of us to come to you, how we are, weary and heavy laden, And you will give us rest for our souls. For you have carried the burden of our sins to the cross. You have paid the price so that we might be reconciled to you. And that we might begin a new life as your faithful followers. Oh Lord, I pray that each one of us, if we don't have a Timothy, someone we're mentoring. Lord, that you would lead us to that person that you're calling us to to pour into. To listen closely to. To get to know well. So that we might encourage them to use their gifts in ministry. Whatever those gifts might be. Timothy had the gift of teaching leadership, and preaching. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to equip our young people to use their gifts to the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said.